Amen. All right. If you don't have your Bibles, go ahead and grab one because we are using those tonight. They're on the back table. As Nathan said, we are going to be in the book of Colossians. Hey, have y'all had a good week so far? Yes, some of you. How many of you have not had a good week so far? couple of you? Okay, well hopefully it'll get better. You know, it's, it's Wednesday. You got two more days to go. So tonight we're going to jump into Colossians. We have finished up our study of the book of Jonah. So we're going to jump over to the New Testament. But before we go too far into it though, what I want to do is, is begin with the main idea of this entire book or, or the theme. It's kind of echoed throughout the entire book. You guys are familiar with that term, right? The main idea? Yes, you are. Okay. So what, okay, let me ask you then, what does it mean to find the main idea of a book or a writing or something? What's, what does that mean? What the author's trying to tell you, okay? Yeah, most times, I hope you guys know how to find that, but most times when you're reading something, there's a main idea. Now, in, in most writings, you usually find it like in a, in a couple paragraphs, you'll usually find it somewhere around the first paragraph, maybe that first sentence, but that's not the case when it comes to a book of Scripture. When it comes to a book of Scripture, to get the main idea, it's not always stated clearly right at the beginning, but a lot of times it's a theme that keeps popping up over and over as you go through that Scripture. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now the main idea of this book. The theme of this entire book that keeps popping up over and over is this. It's the supremacy of Christ in all things. And if you're not sure what that word means, supremacy means Jesus is above everything. I mean, he, he reigns, he rules, he is above everything in all of creation, every area of your life, the supremacy of Christ in all things. That's what keeps coming up over and over again. And as we get in here, as we try to read and study this book, we need to know where this book is pointing us so that we know what we're supposed to get out of it. Now, this book was written to an original audience, to a church, to a group of believers, but it has some implications for our life too. And if we understand now that the whole goal of this is the supremacy of Christ in all things, we can start to understand how that plays out in our life on a daily basis as we walk through this book. So let me ask you some of the questions that I always ask you when we study a book. Does anybody know who wrote the book of Colossians? Paul, yes, good job. Does anybody know when it was written? Around what time? You're close. Very close. What, what's that? A little bit closer. Somewhere 60 to 62 AD. So you guys are doing well there, okay? That was good. Does anybody know where it was written? Any guesses? Where do you think Paul was when he wrote this? Is that what you were going to say back there too? Yeah, prison. It, 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 we believe he was in prison when he wrote this. In fact, Paul was in prison a lot, okay? Paul got in trouble a lot because he continued to preach the gospel when people told him, stop preaching the gospel. So it's most likely that Paul was in prison during this time, probably in Rome, because that's, that's where we find a lot of this stuff happening. In fact, it's also around the time that he wrote the book of Ephesians. So these books, while they don't go hand in hand, they're not paired, we know that they were written around the same time. Now, who was the book written to? Not, what'd you say? Yeah, that's exactly right. It was written to the church of Colossae. It would have been, this is a church that would have been made up of not just Jewish people, but Jews and Gentiles. In fact, it probably would have been more Gentiles. And if you don't know what Gentiles are, those are people who are not of Jewish heritage. 
okay? They're, they're born outside of the Jewish culture, but the gospel of Jesus had gone outside of the Jewish culture at this point. So there were Gentiles, people who weren't born Jews, who were a part of this church. Now here's the tricky question. Does anybody know why it was written? Yes, we talk about the supremacy of Christ in all things, but does anybody know what are some of the things that Paul starts to flesh out in this book? Does anybody know why this book was written to this church? What's that? Possibly, yeah. Any other ideas? Hey, I appreciate you giving an answer. Encouragement, okay? You're absolutely right. There's really a twofold thing going on there. He's write this book, he writes this book to encourage this church, and he writes this book to warn them because there were struggles happening there. Okay? If you go through and you start reading this book, we see that he, he wants to encourage these believers in this church because he's trying to encourage them to live lives that honor Jesus. And as we walk through chapter 1, we're going to see that, that he's telling them over and over how to live a life that honors Jesus, basically reminding them, you all have made a decision. You've put your faith and your trust in Jesus. Now you can live this out. You can make this a part of your daily life. He's trying to encourage them and build them up, but he's also trying to warn them. You see, what was going on, based on what we see here in this book, is it appears that there were some people who were coming into the church who were bringing in some false teachings. Now, from what we understand and what Paul talks about, they were talking about Jesus and they were teaching the things that Jesus taught and things that were okay with God's Word, but they were also adding things to that. They were basically saying Jesus and something else is where your salvation rests. Now, we don't know all of the exact false teachings that may have existed, but the, the people were struggling with that because Paul goes through here in this book and he starts talking against some of those things. He starts saying, hey, you've heard this, you've been taught this, but you need to remember your focus is Jesus. You need to remember it's the preeminence of Christ, the supremacy of Christ in all things. So Paul is writing this letter to encourage the church. He's writing this letter to warn the church. And the solution he offers is just that, the supremacy of Christ in everything. He's telling them, focus on Jesus, focus on the gospel, and you'll be doing what you've been called to do. And that's important because that matters for us. Because sometimes we're going to hear teaching where someone has said it's Jesus and and if we don't know what God's Word says, if we have not been in the presence of sound, solid, biblical, theological teaching, then we're not going to know that it's not Jesus and it's just Jesus. See, that matters for us. That means we have to spend time in God's Word ourselves so that we know what it says, so that when we hear something that's contrary, we have the opportunity to say, no, that's not right. That's not what God's Word says. I'm going to live a life that honors God. And we do that by knowing his word. So we need to know that as we start stepping through this book and seeing what Paul wrote to them. We need to know why he wrote it to them, what was going on, because it means something for our lives today. So tonight what we're going to do is we're just going to go through the first two verses. Just the introduction, because there's some important information for us there before we get too much further into this. So what I've done is what I've been doing. I've asked Miss Laney, come on up here. She's going to read our verses for us, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand in honor of reading God's Word. Guys, if we can get this microphone turned on so Laney can use that one and just read those two verses for us, Miss Laney. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers, grace to you and be from God our Father. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the many blessings you've given us. Thank you for allowing us to be here tonight to worship you. Be with us as we go through this week and show Christ to the, the love of Christ to everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Laney. You guys can have a seat. Now, that doesn't seem like there's a lot going on there in those two verses, but there's actually a lot of stuff happening here. And, and sometimes we read over the first couple of verses in a book because it's usually Paul or whoever else is writing it and they're just kind of introducing themselves and we think, oh, that's just the greeting. I don't really need to pay attention to that. But there's important things happening in those verses. So tonight we're going to walk through those and we're just going to break it down. That first part of verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, when most people hear that title apostle, what do you think of? What group of people do you think of? The disciples. The 12 disciples. Can anybody name all 12 disciples? <laughs> You're going to sing it for us over there? <laughs> okay. Well, let me give you a clue, though. Paul wasn't one of them. He was not one of the 12 disciples. But he calls himself an apostle here. And what Paul is doing is, Paul's referring to the fact that he was chosen by God through Jesus Christ. That's what he says right there. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Now, if Paul wasn't one of the twelve disciples, then, then how can he call himself an apostle? Well, he's referring to the encounter that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. You see, prior to that encounter that he had with Jesus, his name was Saul. And he was a man who was actually out to destroy the church. He was out to destroy believers of Jesus. He had gone and gotten letters and gotten permission to take Christians and put them in jail and some of them to have their lives taken. Paul was trying to destroy the belief in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus got a hold of him. As Paul is traveling on a road to Damascus, Jesus appears to him and speaks to him. And it says that, that Paul falls to his knees and, and, and his, he's got scales that come over his eyes. So basically, he's blind. And in that encounter right there, Jesus changes his life. And that's exactly what Paul is referencing here. He is saying that he has become an apostle of Jesus. No, he was not just one of the twelve, but he's an apostle because God chose him and God sent Jesus to have an encounter with him. And here's why that matters that Paul says that. Because as Paul is writing to this church, remember some of the things he's trying to take care of is the fact that people are bringing in false teaching. They're bringing in things that are contrary to what God's Word says. So Paul has, distinguished, has to distinguish what he's about to say, not as just another man's opinion. See, if what Paul is getting ready to write is just another man's opinion, then he's no different than all the other people that are coming in with the false teachings. Paul has to help them understand, no, I'm an apostle. I was chosen by God through Jesus Christ. He's giving authority to his words. He's helping them understand that what he's about to write, what they're about to read, it's not just the opinion of a man. Instead, it's the words of God penned through the guidance of the Holy Spirit by Paul. And those words carry the authority of God. So Paul's introduction of himself to the church, that's crucial. Because if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't let them know this is the word of God, all he's doing is giving his opinion as a man, which is what everybody else was doing. See, it matters, those words. And then he goes on here in that same verse. He says, and Timothy, our brother. Anybody in here ever heard of Timothy in Scripture before? It's, I'm not going to call you out. It's okay to raise your hand if you've heard of him. Okay, yeah, now, now some people will raise their hands. Here's, in, in Timothy, it's interesting here. Timothy shows up here in Paul's greeting, but this is not the only place we see Timothy mentioned by Paul in Scripture. It, it's kind of like this. 
Do you ever find yourself telling stories about your life and about things that have happened and you've got that one friend that just keeps popping up over and over in every story that you tell? You've got that one person that just seems to be there all the time. Well, we tend to see a lot of that happen with Timothy and Paul. If you go back and you read, you can actually read the greeting for several other books. It's, it's the greetings for books, uh, the books of, I can't get my words out, 2 Corinthians, Philippians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Timothy shows up in the greeting of every one of those books. See, Timothy is there over and over again with Paul. In fact, if you study through Scripture, you find out that Timothy was a ministry partner of Paul. Timothy went on missionary journeys with Paul. Sometimes he was an assistant to Paul. In fact, Paul addressed two books in the New Testament to Timothy. Does anybody know what they are? I was going to say, that, that's like a softball lob right there. You've got to hit that one out of the park. Yeah, it's First and Second Timothy. They, they, had a, they had a relationship here. They were ministry partners. I want you to understand that matters for us. Because just in the fact that Paul mentions Timothy here and in other books and later writes letters to Timothy that show up in Scripture, that's showing that Paul saw it was important to have someone to partner with in ministry. That's important for us because, hey, look at me. If God's called you to do something, He's not called you to do it by yourself. He's put other people around you to do it with you. He's put other people around you to labor with you, to encourage you, to sometimes suffer with you. Paul is reminding these believers right here just by mentioning Timothy and reminding us in turn that we're not alone when we're doing what God's called us to do. And we've got to remember that because sometimes it feels very lonely when you're standing by yourself doing what you think God wants you to do. But you need to remember God has surrounded you with people that will stand with you and that will support you. And that's what we see simply by the mentioning of Timothy, our brother. Then it goes on in verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, that word saints, what comes to your mind when you hear the word saints? What's that? A bad football team. Okay, that's a good one. Anything else? That's a pretty good one though. Anybody? Nobody? Like the word saints never crosses your mind at all. What's that? Santa? St. Nicholas? Okay. That's fair. Actually, St. Nicholas was a real person, by the way. We can get into that on another day. Punch the guy over a theology issue. We can talk about that another time. Anybody else? You know what comes to my mind? When I hear the word saints, and maybe it's because I, I'm, I'm in Bible world sometimes and, and church world, I think of the Catholic Church. Have you, ever, have you ever seen a list of all the saints that are in the Catholic Church? There's a lot of them. In fact, I, I looked up a list, and I just wanted to see what some of them were. And one that I found I had never heard of before, it was the Saint Cecilia, the patron saint of musicians. I just thought that was interesting. They actually have saints for all kinds of different professions and activities and all kinds of stuff. There's a lot of people when they hear that word saint, that's, the, that's what comes to mind. But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about here. In fact, if you go back to the original language, the word that was used there was this, hagios. Say that with me. Hagios. Okay, hagios. Some of you are like, ha, 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 ha. Hagios. So you've learned a new word. But that word 
translates not as saints, but as holy ones. There's a big difference there. Holy ones. Paul is calling these believers in this church, he's saying they are holy. Now, they're not holy on their own. They are only holy ones because Jesus Christ has made them holy. Apart from Jesus, they're sinners. They're lost. They're condemned to eternity, separated from God. But in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us we are made righteous. Tells us we are made holy. In fact, Scripture tells us, Jesus says, you are to be holy as I am holy. See, that word right there means holy ones. And that righteousness that they've received from Jesus Christ, it makes them holy. And I want you to know this is what important for us because the same holds true for us tonight if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We have been called out of our sin. We have been called out of our separation from God. And we've been put in relationship with him. And we are now called holy ones. Now we have an opportunity to live a life that reflects that. To live a life that looks different than a world around you that doesn't know God. That doesn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And remember, that goes back to the supremacy of Christ in all things. That means living it out in every area of your life. That means school. If you have a job, work on your sports team, at football games on Friday night, at other sporting events, at all of the different places that you go to, living that out so that other people can see that you have a life that is set apart because you are called to be holy because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And understand that Paul's not separating two groups here where he says to the saints and faithful brothers, what he's doing here is he's speaking of their relationship with God. That's that holy one part. And he's speaking of their relationship with each other. It's like I said before, if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, they were holy, they were set apart by God, but they were also bound to each other in that church through their faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think, you know what, I can live my life, I can do whatever I want, and if they don't like it, they can just do whatever. But the problem is, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, then you are bound through that faith to every other believer that you know and everyone that you've never met. There's a brotherhood, there's a sisterhood there. We are the family of God. And Paul is reminding them that they are bound together. That if, if your identity, if your calling is to be holy, then you have to remember you're called to do that, yes, but you're not called to do that by yourself. You're called to do that with your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and you are bound to them through that relationship through Jesus. And then he finishes here. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, this is a phrase that shows up. Can anybody guess how many letters of Paul's in the New Testament where this almost word-for-word -word phrase shows up? What's your guess? Come on. What's that? All of them? How many is that? You're right. It's all of them, but does anybody know how many? Nope. Close. Thirteen. Yes. All 13 of Paul's letters in the New Testament, he says almost this exact verbiage, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Those are important words. You would read through all of those in all 13 books and just think, well, Paul's just got a standard thing that he ends that second sentence with. 
It's, it's like I, I see over and over again when pastors send letters or emails, it'll say blessings or in his name or in his service. And you see that all over the place. And sometimes you think, well, that's, that's just something that they use. And then they sign their name. But that's not exactly what Paul's doing here. He uses those words over and over again because those words have powerful connotations in the life of a believer. That means they mean something in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Grace is the means by which God's love and mercy is bestowed upon every believer. Grace is simply this. It's receiving something that you don't deserve. And if you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, then you've experienced the grace of God in your life already because you've received salvation. Because none of us deserve salvation. Scripture tells us our sin separates us from God and there is nothing, no one is righteous, no, not one. There is nothing that we can do to get to God on our own. It is only through the grace of the love and mercy of God through Jesus Christ that we receive salvation and experience that in our lives. And that is what Paul is saying here. He's saying grace to you. So church, I want you to experience that. I want you to remember that you have that because if you have that, guess what? Now you're a conduit to show it to other people. Sometimes we receive grace really well from God, but we don't give it to others very well. He's saying, remember, you've had grace that has come to you and it's received only because God chose to give it. And then peace. Peace is an understanding that God is in control. Now, that's not the, the peace that we very often try to claim. A lot of times when we say, I need peace, it usually goes something like, I just need a little peace and quiet. And what that typically means for most of us is we don't want conflict in our life for a little while. We just need, we need a break. We need a break from our parents. We need a break from our siblings. We need a break from our friends, a break from school, a break from everything. I just need a little peace and quiet. And that, that's not a bad thing, but... That's not what Paul's talking about here when he talks about peace. What Paul's talking about here has a greater meaning than, meaning than just the absence of conflict. What Paul is talking about, it's, it's this idea of experiencing um, a wholeness, which it, it includes being content. Not just, I'm not fighting with anybody right now, but things are right with the world. Even though things are going crazy, even though I've got relationships that are haywire and school's not going well and I didn't make the sports team and all this other stuff, I still got the peace of God. Because in the middle of that, you know God's in control. God's going to work it out. Yes, we do have a responsibility to apply ourselves, but God ultimately is in control. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Contentment in your situation, no matter what is going on, and having good relationships with others as well. These are the things in these first two sentences, how often we read over these things and we don't stop and we don't drill down and see what is Paul actually saying here? It's not just a welcome. It is a welcome, but there's meaning to these words. That's why God's word tells us that every word in scripture matters. And sometimes we've got to stop and not just glaze over the words that we normally read through or even skip to get to the, what we think is the meat of Scripture. We've actually got to slow down and dig down into what is going on here. And, and Paul is talking to these people. He's trying to let this church know that he comes to them in love. He comes to them bringing them a message from God, not something based on his opinion, but the words from God for his people. 
words that bring warning against false teaching, words that bring encouragement for the lives of believers, words that remind them of the supremacy of Christ in every area of their life, words that convey grace and peace. So as we wrap this up tonight and and we get ready to sing one more song, I want to ask you this question to ask yourself tonight and continually as we go through this book. Does Christ have supremacy in your life? And you may say, yes, of course he does. I'm here tonight. And that's awesome. I am so glad you're here. But does he have supremacy in your life? That means not just showing up to church. That means every area of your life. That means the words you speak, the thoughts you have, the places you let your mind and your eyes wander, the way that you interact with other people, the things that you think happen in your life that nobody else knows about. Does Christ have supremacy in all of those things? Is your identity of who you are in Him and Him alone no matter what else happens in your life? If you're here tonight and the answer to that question for you is yes, thank God. I want to challenge you and encourage you tonight. Take a moment as we stand to sing and thank Him for that, that He has shown you the love and the grace and the peace that only He can give. But if you're here tonight and the answer for you for that question is no, Christ does not have supremacy in every area of my life, my question to you then would be, why not? What is it that's holding you back? Is it a sport? Is it a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Is it a relationship problem in your family? Is it just questions you have about God and the Bible? If it's any of those things, let's talk about that. And what I'd ask you to do is any of those things that you worried about or that that you know that is holding you back from letting Christ have supremacy in your life, I want to challenge you, and only I will see this, I want to challenge you to write that down on a card, questions you have, areas you're struggling, something you just want somebody to pray for you about. Write those down and drop them in this basket when we stand up to sing. And then spend a minute talking to God about it. Ask God to have supremacy over everything. Ask Him to give you the strength to give him supremacy over every area of your life. Because until you do that, you don't get to fully experience that peace that Paul is talking about here. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that we can come together tonight. God, we thank you that we can trust your word. God, we thank you for Christ, and we thank you that we can see from Paul his supremacy over everything, all of creation, God, including every single smallest, minute detail of our lives. And God, I pray that each one of us in here tonight, you will help us. God, help us to let you reign supreme, to not hold anything back, no area, no relationship, nothing. God, to let you do through Jesus in our lives what only you can do. Help us to be the believers, the disciples that you have called us to be and remind us, God, every day that we don't do it alone, that we're surrounded by others. Thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.